Chapter Four of In a North Country Village by M. E. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nancy. Now then, hurry up. That's a good lad. They'll be fair clemmed i the field if we do not make haste. It's mortal heavy," grunted Billy, the curly-pated, crimson-cheeked farm boy, as he hoisted the great beer can on his shoulder and staggered down the garden path in front of his mistress. It'll be light enough when yon folks has done wi' it," returned Nancy, tilting her sunbonnet a little more forward and slinging a large basket covered with a red cotton handkerchief on one sturdy arm. In a few minutes they had left the farm precincts behind and were marching in single file along a sandy lane bordered on either side by a ragged strip of grass which gave way in its turn to a deep and muddy ditch the brown waters of this were half covered with some white starred floating weed and thickly sown with forget-me-nots and giant marsh marigolds the air was heavy with the scent of new-mown clover mingled occasionally as they passed some cottage or outlying farm building with homelier but no less pleasant odours whiffs from the shippons where the sweet-breathed kine were housed for the night steam from the huge cauldron of soaked meal which granny gibson was preparing for her pigs a fine aroma of stable as ned muckworth slouched past with his sleek elephantine team and from the open door of the last cabin in the straggling village a smell of frizzling bacon deemed by billy so delicious that his youthful heart leapt within him eh hey, he said with a long-drawn sniff and tilting the big can dangerously backwards they'll be having bacon and taties for supper at rippenses i wish i were setting down wi em i know if you do not mind you'll have no supper at all cried nancy sharply as she stretched out her hand to steady the can get along with your lazy bones i were but having a sniff remonstrated billy shambling on again rather quicker than before for experience had taught him that when his mistress spoke in that particular tone it was better to keep out of reach of her arm i'll give you summat to sniff at if that's all responded nancy brandishing her fist with a threatening gesture she was a strapping lass this mistress of brook farm with not much beauty certainly except that which belongs to vigorous young and perfect health tall big-framed and buxom with a fresh white skin where sun and wind had not browned or hard work reddened it a pair of plump cheeks that might have vied with the finest apples in her orchard for rosiness bright blue eyes and abundant fair hair neatly smoothed under her gathered bonnet her gait was free and rapid her gestures decided her voice clear and ringing her tongue of the sharpest a quick-tempered keen-witted rather terrible maiden was nancy this notable wench who rented the finest farm in the place and whom half the youth of the village had courted in vain her father and mother both of ancient and respectable rustic stock had married late in life and had died when nancy the sole fruit of their union was about twenty-two nancy had duly wept for them had worn her blacks for the proper time and had now for three years ruled the farmhouse and the farm itself to the full as cleverly and profitably as her parents had done old gilbertson her father had it was said saved a tidy bit miss nancy was believed to be possessed of money untold and the village gossips thought it unhandsome of her to be so obdurate as regarded wedlock and to work and slave herself to death when she might set down and play the piano same as any lady in the land 
but nancy's taste did not lie in that direction she had been brought up with old-fashioned notions of thrift and duty she perfectly revelled in hard work and had a fine scorn for folks who hired slips of girls to do their business for em as if they hadn't out better to do theirselves nor stitching canvas and wearing hats of a weekday walking about i their shapes the idle huzzies this last referred to the new-fangled style of dress complete with skirt and bodice now as frequently seen in the village as the bed-gown which nancy always wore on weekdays as her mother had done before her it was a far prettier garment than the ill-made gowns at present fashionable among the younger generation full and fresh and crisp with starch its lilac folds gathered in at the waist by the string of the wide linen apron it at once set off the buxom form beneath and left every movement unimpeded the short striped petticoat which met it displayed nancy's ankles clad in stout stockings of her own knitting and the well-blacked hobnailed shoes were designed evidently with a view to comfort rather than elegance nancy had as good a stock of laces and ribbons as any one in the country and a rustling silk dress or two hanging in a cupboard but she knew better than to put them on on any day but sunday presently a figure appeared walking at a brisk pace down the lane towards them a stalwart figure clad in corduroys and velveteen the bright light of the evening sun shining on hair and flowing beard till they gleamed like gold this was martin rainford one of the underkeepers the gradliest one in the place as the village folk said a fine specimen of a countryman it must be owned not far off seven feet in his shoes and broad in proportion as he drew nearer his blond face wreathed itself in rather sheepish smiles and presently he stood stock still his gun on his shoulder evenin's warm said nancy hailing him in a matter-of-fact fashion wunnot ye have a drop o' beer was such an offer likely to be refused martin made one stride towards billy and the can tossed off a tumblerful of the amber-coloured liquid in the latter restored the glass to the boy wiped his mouth on his sleeve and nodded to nancy goin warm inquired the latter martin nodded again you're a great stranger now observed the girl with a toss of her head they're pheasants returned martin speaking for the first time and apparently struggling with an overwhelming shyness they takes a dale o lookin arter they do it's a fine evening go into their field ah we workin till dark i'm takin the lads the drinkin good evenin evenin echoed the taciturn martin striding past with the one-sided nod which appeared to be characteristic of him nancy almost unconsciously wheeled and looked after him eh yon's a greatly chap she said to herself with a half sigh yon ud look well settin aside of a body of the spring cart and atop of an airick my word he'd be a fine sight a few minutes brisk walking brought nancy and billy to their destination a big field which was considered the best piece of meadowland in brook farm the whole of nancy's following exerted itself on her behalf this evening for a treacherous band of clouds marred the gorgeous yellow of the horizon and there was a flutter and rustle among the leaves that betokened coming rain two great carts were being loaded at the further end of the field and the golden pile on another opposite the wide open gate was being bound with ropes preparatory to removal 
the three men in charge of this last-mentioned cart were accommodated first with their portion of the contents of the basket and can which they disposed of in prodigious gulps and with all possible dispatch nancy meanwhile critically surveyed the result of their labours do you call that firm and proper she cried all at once snatching a pitchfork from the man nearest to her and raking down the sides of the hay mountain three or four tussocks of the sweet-smelling provender fell about her to the dismay of the hirelings that's your notion o' loading a cart is it she pursued severely leaving mourner half the stuff i th road enough to keep all stray cows i the parish for shame o ye tommy treddles you as calls yoursel a man and axes for a man's wage eh we hadna finished wi it missus expostulated tommy a raw and lanky youth whose red face now peered down from the top of the load what for was you throwing rope over it then if you hadna finished cried nancy gathering up the fallen hay with the pitchfork and tossing it upwards with vigorous thrusts to the astonished tommy there happen ye canna heave so high as a wench you owd jack there as stands gaping as though ye'd ne'er seen a pickle afore now jimmy norris catch owd a thend at the rope and let that beer can be there's others as wants a wet as bad as you i reckon gee back diamond hurry up now lads there's another load i'th corner as mun bide till ye come back diamond strained for a moment with his sleek gigantic limbs and then the cart went bumping out of the field followed by jimmy and jack still chewing while tommy finished his portion of solid meat pie as he lay outstretched aloft nancy trudged briskly round her sharp eyes detecting in an instant anything that was amiss her sharp tongue admonishing and encouraging the empty cart was trundling back after having deposited its burden at the farm when she at length turned to go home billy preceding her as before she walked at a round pace for it was getting late the men in spite of the sustaining snack with which she had accommodated them would she knew be hungry for their supper after their hard day's work and that supper had yet to be prepared they proceeded in silence billy relieving the tedium of the way by performing a fantasia with his knuckles on the empty beer-can nancy absorbed in her own thoughts so much absorbed indeed that it was not till she was quite close to them that she observed a couple walking slowly down the lane in front of her a man and a woman the man with his arm passed through the woman's a big man a little woman a woman with a hat and a much befrilled and beribboned cape a man with a yellow beard and a gun on his shoulder so much she could see in the dusk and it was quite enough she passed them by without a word yon was mester rainford and miss pratt wasn't they observed billy presently looking over his shoulder with a grin her as his lady's maid at thall they're keeping company this good bit happen they are returned his mistress indifferently now billy my lad give over hammering at that can or i'll hammer your head for you to a tune as you wunnot like so well dance's blighted affections if blighted they were made no difference either to her appearance or habits her cheeks were as rosy her eyes as sharp her hand as ready as ever and she looked after her interest with greater zest if possible than heretofore haymaking was long over and reaping and potato-getting the winter stock of coal was sinking low and nancy was beginning to make ready for the young lambs 
when there came a spell of stormy weather such as had not been known in these parts for nearly a score of years strong winds that wrenched the trees upwards by the roots and laid the hedges flat and snow that lay thick on the fields and was piled up in mighty drifts in lanes and out of the way corners in the very middle of this hard weather the foolish short-sighted little lambs began to make their appearance and as was to be expected after taking a disgusted survey of a very unsatisfactory world left it again as speedily as might be the ewes died too many of them and nancy's thrifty soul was wrung within her one bleak february morning when the snow that had fallen during the night lay in dense whiteness over the firmer and less lovely mass beneath nancy sallied forth sustained by clogs and a thick stick to seek the assistance of a wise old shepherd much respected in the neighbourhood his cottage stood by itself at the further end of the village and to reach it nancy took a short cut across the squire's park she stumped along well muffled in her warm shawl every step leaving a deep print in the snow hungry little rabbits or handsome melancholy pheasants occasionally crossing her path presently she started for all at once a sort of faint cry fell on her ear it was scarcely daylight yet and with the exception of those already mentioned there did not appear to be a creature stirring she stood still and scanned the white waste of park with its clumps of trees scattered here and there and its boundary of gloomy firwood not a human form in sight yet the cry which now broke the stillness again was distinctly a human cry in god's name whatever's that ejaculated nancy she strained her eyes once more and became suddenly conscious of something unusual in the scene before them eh hey, the great ash the half of it's gone there's never someone underneath the great ash long so prominent a feature in the landscape was riven in two one huge branch having fallen in the night and being partially covered with snow as it lay on the ground nancy dashed towards it hearing as she approached a low moaning which warned her that her surmise was correct lo beneath the branch lay a figure half buried in snow its mighty limbs crushed beneath the weight its long fair beard entangled in the twigs martin cried the girl dropping on her knees beside him and trying with all her strength to lift the heavy bough but she could not move it one inch and her sturdy efforts added to his torture do not touch me he gasped do not i am all broke to pieces and the snow has been falling on me all neat i'm undie i doubt nay she shanna cried nancy bravely not while i'm alive to help you bide a bit and do not lose heart i'll fetch a couple of chaps in a minute as'll be able to carry ye she flew off to the village and presently returned with half a dozen stalwart labourers whom she had captured on their way to the field they soon removed the branch and endeavoured with more good will than adroitness to set martin on his legs an attention which the hapless giant acknowledged by promptly fainting away eh hey, you great fools shouted nancy his leg is broke most like you mun not drag at him that gate get a shutter one here an owd door and lay him on to shift him so after a little delay a door was procured nancy meanwhile covering the injured man with her shawl and supporting his head on her knee 
Where mun we take him to? asked one of the bearers, as they prepared to start. We'll never be able to carry him so far as the lone end, where he lodges. He's mortal heavy, and looks as though he were going to dee. Take him to my place, then, said Nancy. It's nearest, I reckon, and I'll see as he's well done too. The doctor shook his head over Martin. He was nearly, as he said himself, broken to pieces. One arm and one leg were fractured so badly that amputation was necessary. Several ribs were broken. There seemed to be no end to the damage which the poor fellow had sustained. Nancy and old Kitty, her factotum, nursed him with devotion, if not precisely tenderness, for many weeks. Miss Pratt visited him once, but her susceptibilities were apparently so much shocked by the sight of this wreck of a man that she did not repeat the attention. Rainford's parents were both dead, and he had no near kin to fall back on. Therefore Nancy's good offices were the more valuable. As time passed, and it was known for certain that Martin would never be fit for work again, much curiosity was aroused in the village as to what Nancy's plans might be with regard to him. Did she mean to keep him always at the farm, a poor doless creature as could scarce so much as dress himself? And was it not rather a queer thing, said some of the more severe, for a wench same as her, to make such a to-do with a chap like yon? Heads began to shake, and tongues to wag over Nancy's proceedings, and one fine day her maternal aunt drove up in her chandry to remonstrate with her. Poor Martin, white-faced and melancholy, with his clothes clinging loosely around his shrunken form, his empty right sleeve pinned to his breast, while a rug hid his solitary lower limb, was installed on a couch by the kitchen fire. Therefore, after exchanging a few commonplace remarks with him, Mrs. Wilcox conveyed to her niece, by various telegraphic nods and winks, her desire to speak to her privately. They adjourned to the parlour, and the elder woman proceeded to the point at once. He do look bad for sure, she remarked. How's he going to get living when he leaves this? I don't know, responded Nancy, composedly. If he was to go to Liverpool, he might pick up a few pence, sweeping across in Appen, suggested her relative cheerfully. Or maybe they'd take him in a show, with all the one side gone, I may say, and him so big and tall. They might do summat with him. I've seen sights as was less curious. Eh, poor chap, they say as when folks has their limbs chopped off, they do not lose feeling in em for ever such a time. Did you see Martin's arm when the doctor cut it off, or his leg? Nay, returned Nancy quickly, had somewhat better to do, I reckon, nor be gaping at such like. I'd have liked to see em, pursued her relative tranquilly. Lord o me, I mind when owd Jim said and had his fingers whipped off with a steam saw, he picked em up with his other hand, and wrapped em in paper so nice and tidy, and took em warm. I met him i the road, and I said, "Eh, hey, whatever's the matter, Jim? You look all of a shake, and for all he were feeling so bad, he had to laugh. What do you think as I've got here? he says. I can't tell, I'm sure, I says. A handful of fingers, says he, and he opens out the parcel, and shows me quite proud, the poor chap. Eh, hey, the whole village had to see Jem's fingers, and you never so much as axed to look at Martin's arm. Well, there'll be a to-do with him when he leaves this, I reckon, but it cannot be helped. You'll have to get him out of your road here soon anyway. I can do with him, 
said nancy folding her arms a trifle defiantly ay but there's a deal o' talk about him and you already returned mrs wilcox with a sudden change of tone people wonders at ye for keeping of him here him as is no kin to you nor nor your equals neither if you'd a been keeping company it ud a been different but him as was courting miss pratt yonder at the hall eh if you'd a heerd all as folks a sayin and it's none such nice hearin for your mother's sister neither i can tell you here mrs wilcox evinced a disposition to weep i dunnot care a brass fardin for what folks say cried her niece snapping her finger and thumb not that i'm not going to turn the poor lad out o' th road for anybody tell polly birch she needn't think she'll see the straighter for making out as other people has crooked eyes i know what that long tongue o hers is at the bottom of any mischievous work as is a gate but i can let mine wag a bit too happen and then we'll see poor polly birch only spoke in kindness expostulated the matron i can do wi less kindness then are you going to the village now will you have a cup of tea first but mrs wilcox was too much hurt and offended to accept of any hospitality and she drove off baffled and heated leaving nancy totally unconvinced it was a different matter however when the canon spoke to her on the subject nancy had a great respect for the canon and when she spied him walking up the little flag-paved garden path her face beamed he was smiling too at his own thoughts but now he composed his features i want a quiet word with you nancy do you canon yes about martin rainford you know what are you going to do with him there's not much as can be done wi him as i know responded nancy her manner stiffening a little and the smiles vanishing doctor says as when he gets a bit stronger he mun have a wooden leg his ribs is mending but his arms took right off up by shoulder there's nowt as can be done for that he'll never be fit for work again i doubt well but nancy he can't stay here you know he's no relation of yours and you're too young to look after him as you do people will talk they're talking already i care now to they are hard words break no bones canon what's the poor chap to do he mun have some one to do for him he can scarce so much as feed himself and he's no kin in the place well he must go to the workhouse i'm afraid you can't keep him nancy come be sensible no young woman can take charge of a young man like that unless unless she's married to him eh hey, canon cried nancy indignantly married why yon's but half a mon poor fellow who'd wed wi him the canon looked sharply at her who indeed was there not something between him and one of the maids at the hall miss pratt contemptuously i doubt she'll think no more o poor martin now she came here not but once to see him owding up her skirts and cocking her nose in there when she passed the midden and it made up wi fine wholesome farmyard muck as it ud please any one to sniff at and when she saw martin she hollered out as if she were going to faint nay i says i canna do wi faintings here and our kitty smacked her hands till she come to pretty quick but she never come since we might get up a little subscription for him said the canon meditatively i'm sure the squire would help perhaps he need not go to the workhouse after all he he might lodge somewhere it mun be somewhere as he'll be well done to then 
put in Nancy. He wants looking arter, same as a babby almost. Who's going to be at the trouble of that? Well, well, we must see what can be done, but bear in mind what I tell you, Nancy. He must get out of this. I'm not going to have any more scandal-mongering about him. The canon nodded and went away, leaving Nancy in an unusually reflective mood. Miss Pratt had just finished dinner and was sitting in the housekeeper's room, toying with a strip of crotchet work and flirting with the footman, just to keep her hand in, when a message was brought to her that Miss Gilbertson wanted to see her. "'Won't you step in?' said Miss Pratt, tripping to the back door where Nancy stood, her large back in its print bed-gown turned towards the house. "'No, thank you,' said Nancy, whisking round. She had been shaking her fist at the yard-dog, which was straining at its chain and barking itself hoarse, presumably tantalised at the sight of her sturdy, unprotected ankles. "'I want no but a word, will you?' "'Oh,' said Pratt, contemptuously surveying the stalwart figure in its unfashionable gear, and giving a little shake to her own smart silk dress, which was intended to provoke envy. Nancy snorted. She was not going to dress up for the likes of her, and knew that a single one of her fine pigs was worth more than the whole of Miss Pratt's wardrobe. But the action irritated her nevertheless. She looked defiantly at the sneering Abigail. "'It's just this. What are you going to do about Martin Rainford?' "'About him?' cried the other, starting and flushing. "'What about him?' "'Ah, that's where it is. What about him? You have not troubled yourself so much about him, have you?' He's doing pretty fair, doctor says, and he'll soon be fit for's wooden leg, but he'll never work no more. What's to be done wi' him? He's no kin to nobody here, and he mun have someone to do for him. You and him had best wed as soon as you can, and then you can see to him proper. You'll not a save much of your wage, I doubt, with a scornful glance that took in Miss Pratt from her frizzled head to her high-heeled shoes. You'll not have a dale to start housekeeping on, but you can take in washing and fat pigs and that. Miss Pratt's face was a study. You'll not be the first woman as has had her husband to keep. There was a dead silence. Presently the maid asked with a toss of her head if Martin had sent Nancy with this message. Nay, I'm not going to run of errands for anybody. I coom her myself. Well, what do you say? The lad's got to be looked to, and Cannon says as he munna stay longer wi' me. He's been well done to thee, though, I say it, and if he mun go, he mun ha somebody to take care of him. Well, Miss Pratt? Well, Miss Gilbertson, I'm very sorry, I'm sure, that you can't keep Martin any longer, and I'm very sorry for him too, poor fellow. Very, very sorry, but what can I do? I, I could not think of taking such a responsibility on myself. I'm not equal to it, and besides, I don't think Martin could expect anyone to marry him now. Really, the very idea is shocking. Besides, for some time I've been doubting if I was suited to him, and if I could make him happy. I've other views at present. I don't mind telling you, Miss Gilbertson, that I'm engaged to a very superior young man, an English gentleman of Irish extraction called Murphy. Him and me, and what's to become of Martin? put in Nancy who apparently took no interest in Miss Pratt's plans, except in so far as they regarded the ex-keeper. Really, I can't be expected to know. He must lodge somewhere, I suppose. Cannon says as he'll most likely have to go to the workhouse. 
observed nancy stolidly well perhaps that would be the best thing for the poor fellow in the long run as he can't work returned miss pratt in a tone of relief they take very good care of people there i believe and we could go and see him and bring him tobacco you know poor martin loves his pipe with a sigh of sentimental reminiscence nancy raised her blue eyes which positively burned with scornful anger and moreover lifted her sturdy arm with so fierce a gesture that the little maid skipped hastily backwards for shame o ye cried nancy snapping her fingers close to the other's nose for shame o ye you dirty little slut thereupon miss pratt shut the door in her face and went into hysterics behind it and the mistress of brook farm trudged homewards she found that the dough for her weekly bread-making had run over the great brown pans and her anxiety to repair this mishap at first swallowed up all other thoughts presently however as she kneaded the solid mass punching it and rolling it in her usual vigorous style her eyes fell on martin installed as usual on the couch spelling over a week-old newspaper the couch had been rolled to the open window partly to leave more room for nancy's bread-making operations and partly that the sweet april air might refresh the invalid an apple-tree in blossom was waving its branches without in the breeze a row of hyacinths in glasses decorated the window-sill the birds were singing cheerily and the men were calling to each other in the adjacent field a great farm-horse passed the window with clanking harness and slow ponderous tread followed by billy cracking his whip and whistling there was a pleasant stir and bustle the bustle of spring everywhere nancy sighed if it mun be done it mun be done she said to herself and then aloud did i tell ye as cannon's been here to-day nay said martin turning his head i wonder he didn't look in to ax how i were he's not been here this while back he were talking of you though said nancy plenty he thinks you ought to clear out o this soon he wants to know what you're going to do with yourself what i'm going to do repeated martin his face clouding over he may well ax there's nowt as i can do only eight other folk's stuff and lay here same as a log o wood you'll be able to get about more when you've got your wooden leg but you mun have a woman to see to you and canon says it had ought to be your wife wife whatever's that you say who take up wi a broken-down chap like me i went to miss pratt at thall said nancy and axed her straight if she were going to be as good as a word and get married to you and work for you same as you'd a done for her if you hadn't have had this accident and she said as she couldn't think of such a thing and was keeping company with some other chap now here nancy withdrew her arms from the dough folded them and looked with her sharp direct gaze at martin she had said her say part of it at least without wasting time in preliminaries and martin though he looked gloomy enough seemed by no means surprised ay he said after a pause i misdoubted me that she were up to summat of sort her and me had words the very neat as tree fell o me i misdoubted me then it were that i think as made me walk reet under that rotten owd ash tree with the wind blowing enough to deave one and the snow that thick as if i'd a had me senses i'd have cut away warm instead of loitering in the park 
but i couldn't give over thinking of that wench and her ways i was fair moidered ah she's not one to moider herself with thinking of you then happen he'd best go to th workhouse she says did she say that asked martin quickly ay she did well happen it is the best thing i could do there was a moment's silence and then he struck the window-sill savagely with his solitary fist i wish yon tree had done a bit more damage while twas about it he said i wish it had cracked my crown the kindest service as any one could do me now had be to stick a cartridge in that owd gun o' mine as i's never carry no more and put muzzle to my ear and blow my brains out i'm nowt but cumber nowt else and i'm nobbut twenty-six eh lord it's an awful thing for the half of a body to dee afore t'other half it fair drives me mad to think on happen i'll live fifty year or more everybody wishing me dead and myself most of all nancy carefully wiped her floury hands in her apron stalked across the kitchen and possessed herself of martin's sturdy palm speak for yourself she said with a queer sort of laugh i do not wish you dead martin and i hope with all my heart as ye will live fifty year it needn't be in th workhouse when all's said and done ay but where mun i go canon says i mun be flitting from here nay he did not altogether say that he says nancy ye cannot do for yon chap same as you're doing now for ever ye're too young he should have a wife to look arter him well and then i went and axed miss pratt same as i told ye ay and ye found as she cared nowt for me and for that matter i care nowt about her now well i'll tell ye plain martin as i always thought to do pretty well for mysel when i did wed i always said as i'd have nobbut a gradely chap for my master one as could work a bit for hisself and gaffer the men and that now you as you say i'll never be fit for much i this world unless happen said nancy with a provident eye to the future you could cut up a two three sea potatoes and feed the hens and such like ay said martin calmly i could do that belike and i could gaffer the lads too i can shout a bit still and my eyesight's as strong as ever it were ah but they'll never think so much of a master as has but one leg pursued nancy gazing at him with an appraising eye eh and no but one arm and that the left it'll look rail bad when you're sitting at their table at harvest supper that you should have but the left arm to drink else with ah sighed poor rainford his face which had brightened up for a moment during the discussion darkening again it will that i doubt it's no use nancy my lass i'll never make a fit mate for you but i thank you truly all the same and take it very kind of you to ax me wait a bit i've more to say yet martin rainford the fust time i see you i says to myself yon's the man for my money did you said martin with a sheepish smile ay he was a fine set-up fellow in those days well i'd a liked you then well enough and though i might say as the best party is gone i'm none of the kind that's always chopping and changing so if you're willing i'll make a shift to do with you as you are End of chapter 4